Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Gorilla Shear. Well, we may be in the midst of an Ashes series, but around us the county season goes on. The beating heart of English cricket in all its formats, 18 first-class counties battling out the championship and the blast, with the Royal London Cup already behind us. Well done, Somerset. Gorilla Shear will be broadcast throughout the rest of the cricket season. And in each edition, we're going to zoom in on three different counties. Tonight, we have Leviathans of the English County game. We're going to be talking specifically about Kent, Durham, and my own county, Middlesex. My guests are, well, none other than Nigel Hendo Henderson, a man of Kent. Hello. And Jack Cunningham, unmistakable accent. You would never guess who his county was. <laughs> Welcome, Jack Cunningham. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Tony? And uh, myself. Tony Bishop uh, with my colours firmly nailed to the mast of Middlesex 
Now we're going to start with just a very quick look at uh, current form and prospects for each county. But then we're going to dive in to the rich history of each of them and look at some of their all-time greats with the specific objective of deciding who out of the entire history could take on today's Australians and hopefully find a way to get Steve Smith out. So Hendo, can I come to you first? You can. Kent, they seem to be rolling along reasonably nicely in all formats, don't they? Well, doing very well in the blast, aren't they? Um, they're, what, top one, six out of seven, um, having a wonderful time there. Uh, county Championship been a little bit more difficult, um, three wins, and uh, they're sort of just off the bottom, uh, two or three uh, places. Uh, I think they're going to be safe after coming up last year because, of course, Nottinghamshire are having such a terrible season. I'm sure we'll go into that in a future episode. Um, but I, I imagine um, most Kent fans are, are, are pretty happy. Um, I should uh, declare the fact that I'm, um, I'm not a dyed-in-the-wool Kent fan. I was a Kent fan as a kid, uh, although I was brought up in Surrey and uh, used to go to the Oval uh, more often than Canterbury. Um, I, I loved Kent because they, they just seemed to have the glamour players of the, of the age, really. Uh, the likes of Notty and uh, Underwood and people like that. Uh, so uh, I'm a bit like those uh, Man United fans who live in uh, the home counties, really. Um, I just attached myself to Kent as a, as, a, as a youngster, really. And a very rich history in one-day cricket. I remember my Sunday afternoons being enriched by Alan Elam flinging him himself across the boundary. Well, flinging take himself, unbelievable catches. Flinging himself in front of the tree um, quite the often, tree. I think. He was a fantastic Indeed fielder when, he it, did. when it wasn't fashionable. And absolutely right. I mean, I, I remember going to a number of uh, B&H Cup matches uh, certainly one at Laws that I remember against Gloucestershire uh, when Mike Proctor was uh, at his most fearsome. Oh, yes, and, he was. Uh, 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 that was just, that's just a great memory. It stays with me now, what, uh, 47 years later? So, your prognosis for the season as it stands at the moment for Kent? Well, I think <laughs> um, middle order, uh, mid, sorry, mid-table finish. They'll be, they'll be very happy with that in the, in the county championship, I would imagine. They're bringing through a few young players. We've heard that the likes of Zach Crawley have been mentioned in relation to the England team. Uh, is it a little bit early? I don't know. He's only got three first-class centuries, two two of those this year. Um, and in the blast, well, I, I presume they're hoping to go all the way, aren't they? I mean, with with, with the start like they've had, and uh, with Mohamed Nabi uh, smashing that quick 43 against yeah. Surrey in a seven-over uh, tie, uh, ruined by rain to a certain extent. Um, yeah, I, I, th I think Kent would, uh, would think they've got a very good chance. Yep, six wins out of seven. They're yep. looking in very good order indeed. Absolutely. Well, Jack, let's talk a little bit about oh. Durham. 100 well, years before they became a first-class county. Mm. Finally made it in 1992. But they're going pretty well too, aren't they? They are. Well, yes. I mean, first of all, I want to talk about why um, I'm a Durham fan, I guess. Um, so my granddad's always been massively into cricket. Um, uh, he, well, first of all, was obviously into football. And he thought, football season's finished. I'm going to take him to some cricket. So I started going to 2020 in about 20. 12 I think and even though Durham were terrible <laughs> yeah uh, I was hooked from ever from then from then on um, they won the one day cup obviously pretty recently after and uh, I've been a loyal Durham supporter ever since so this season uh, the county championship got off to the worst start in Durham's history <laughs> when they didn't win any of their first five games it looked like it was going to be a long old season for the D's but uh, Cameron Bancroft finally found some form and in the end, he ended with 726 runs, including uh, um, a very good uh, 92 to battle to draw against uh, Jimmy Anderson, um, Field Lancashire. Yep, 
brave decision as well to bring him in, I think, and uh, a well-founded one because he's been uh, making some good runs up there, hasn't he? Yeah, well, if you can make runs at Durham, which is already always seen as one of the harder um, grounds to bat on, I think you uh, deserve your chance. And we'll see what he does in the Ashes. He hasn't had a great start so far, but it's a different level of bowling, to be fair. Who have um, they got now, though, to replace him during the Ashes? So Durham have managed to get in Peter Hanscom, which I think is a very good signing. It certainly is. Um, he's, again, he was making a few runs for Australia A, um, so we'll see how he does. In terms of who their top run scorer left is Alex Lees, who is a very experienced county championship batsman. Uh, ex of Yorkshire. Ex of Yorkshire. He used to always score runs for Yorkshire at Durham, so I was very pleased when we got him in. And he's got 610 runs so far this season, and he's leading... Um, the uh, charge on promotion at the moment uh, certainly they are unbeaten in their last five games and I think they've got a good chance of promotion if there's, there is three places available they are the form team in the division arguably currently so sitting fifth exactly currently sitting fifth but points wise they're only a win away from second so I feel they've got a very good chance in terms of their bowling they've got Rushworth obviously 55 wickets consistently takes wickets at county championship level um, always has done I think he, he will he will until he retires to be fair he just knows how to bowl on a length and off st- always bowls off stump gets bat- batsman nibbling and uh, he, he's he's superb county championship bowler in terms of the um, side in terms of the side's mainly made of uh, youth players because obviously Durham have had severe financial trouble uh, they have, but they're finding their way out of that. I'm off to talk to them, actually, on Sunday, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to. Yes, it's going to be your first game, isn't it, at Chesterley I Street? Am. my first game at Chesterley Street. I hope you have a great time. It's lovely ground. It's interesting you talk about Alex Lees, though. I mean, uh, it was only, a, 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 what, three or four years ago when the likes of Geoffrey Boycott were talking him, talking him up as, as, as the next England opener and how we could do with an England opener now. So I've been looking at his progress this year, and he, he seems to have been really up and down. Uh, one minute he's, uh, he's actually looking the business again in ter- yeah. certainly in terms of uh, the runs that he's scoring and then suddenly you see a run of low scores and think is he you know you really want him to come through because you feel that there's a sort of talent unfulfilled at the but moment but Durham have been batting awfully this season they have 14 batting points mm. which is the worst in the division by quite the distance so he's a lot of times had to hold it together a lot of our wins have been low scoring um, we were balled out for 117 against Leicestershire but we still managed to in the first innings but we still managed to win because of how could our bowling attackers? But it's curious, isn't it? If you go, if you get, if you're, you've been struggling at Yorkshire, you've had a couple of seasons where you haven't done that well. Durham's not the best place to go to re re-establish a career as a batsman, is it? It's definitely not. But I mean, 610 runs. I feel that mm. halfway through the season is pretty decent. If he can, yeah, double that, you're, you're over a thousand. In terms of uh, 2020, Durham have Darcy Short. They do another Aussie. Extremely exciting batsman. Man of Hobart, I think, isn't he? Darcy Short made heaps of runs in the uh, Big Bash. Yeah, Big Bash. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was chuffed, forgot him, and uh, I think he's so far the uh, MVP of the tournament overall. Uh, he has 245 runs, and Scott Steele, who is an up-and-coming young batsman for Durham, he uh, came. He was he had his first game in the One Day Cup earlier on in the season. Got a couple of um, very low, like low ball scoring 50s. And uh, he put on, him and Darcy Short put on Durham's highest ever T20 power play score when they got 91 against Leicestershire. Well, I think when you look at the Northern group for the blast, Lancashire running away with it. Oh, totally running um, away with But pretty much from uh, Worcestershire down to Northants, uh, everyone's got a bit of a chance. And you're Durham tidily tucked in mid-table, aren't they? Yeah, really? well, I was looking at the ring of fixtures, and apart from not, Durham play everyone else is a b- below them. Yeah, and that's the game I'm going to. Yes, um, so apart from that... 
I feel Durham, if they can't, it, it, unfortunately, it, with Durham in 2020, Rushworth doesn't play because he doesn't have the, the pace to. Yeah. So they've got to use the other bowlers. Well, so Rimming- pace off is sometimes an asset. Indeed, it is, yes. So Rimmington uh, is the top uh, wicket-taker with 18, but Darcy Short's the third, third top wicket-taker with eight. <laughs> and he's the yeah. opening batsman. <laughs> well, I'll tell you just a wee bit about Middlesex. Um, well, and as far as the county championships come, we're one space behind you and about two points. We're in sixth, you're in fifth. Yep. Uh, that's so compacted. Everyone's a win away from that top three. So after a horrible start, we seem to be picking up form in the county championship. We've got Rojo, Finn taking wickets. Murta is always going to take wickets. Yeah. Robbo's back amongst a few runs. Dawid Milan has been exemplary and I really think should be playing for England. Um, I think the rest of the season is going to be fascinating from that perspective. And in the blast, well, um, I'm never too sure about expensive overseas uh, players. But A.B. de Villiers, my goodness me, I saw him at the weekend at Richmond. I had a sore neck from the amount of... I actually sat at Cal Corner as well so to to, to get myself in the game. And I wasn't disappointed. The guy next to me fielded three (laughs) as the balls came flying over... um, 216 Middlesex made. He made 88 off 35. Milan made another 50. Sturlow made a few. And uh, even then... Simpson. Simpson did well at the end. Well, not only that. Not only that. um, You know, the opposition, uh, Somerset, still managed to make 178. Yeah. uh, Which, frankly, would win you most things. But what Middlesex have got this year, I think even more than AB, they've got Majiba Rahman Mm. and they've got Nathan Souter. He was brilliant. those two are phenomenal so I'm feeling quite optimistic minor concern is that AB finishes after the Surrey game this week ah, and then we'll only come back contract. if we qualify so they're going to have to battle that through and I've talked about the county championship and um, so I think yeah all, all, all things concerned um, after a horror story of uh, crossbows and rakes in 2017 um, <laughs> and a pretty slow start to 2019 um, we're looking in fair in, in fair order. I'm reasonably optimistic. So we are soon going to come on to, or we're now going to come on to, the main meat and potatoes of today's discussion. Yes, indeed. What we're going to be doing is uh, talking about the great players from each county through their entire history who could take on today's Australian team. And we've got a number of rules in our selection process for this. Uh, Number one, they need to have played, ideally, for England versus Australia. Doesn't matter. And they need to have played from your county. Not necessarily at the same time. Obviously, it helps if that's the case. Um, Regardless of era, you need to be able to justify uh, that they can adapt to the modern game. And uh, ideally, if they're a bowler, have something about them that might get Steve Smith out. (laughs) Um, And they've got to have that X factor. Whatever that may be. Uh, You are allowed some wild cards. Particularly if you're particularly if you're following a county who perhaps has a slightly shorter history than others, <laughs> you are definitely allowed those options. So let's get started and let's think about uh, our opening batsman. 
a, a thorny problem, as we've seen for England, only partially perhaps uh, resolved by uh, Rory Burns's first innings effort. Um, Hendo, maybe I'm going to start with you. Who, yep. uh, who are you going to send out for, for the Kent-England team? Uh, well, I'm going to go back to the uh, glory days of 1970 and uh, bring Brian Luckhurst in, this very solid opening batsman. Um, I remember him sort of alternating to a certain extent uh, with John Edridge opening with uh, Boycott um, in that sort of period of uh, 70 to 74. Um, 200s in four tests in that series down under. Um, I think he's, he's, he could be a man for the job. And I put alongside him, uh, possibly my favourite cricketer of all time, uh, Bob Woolmer. Oh, who, yes. uh, who turned from a sort of average medium pace bowler into a fantastic opening batsman, I think. Um, lovely to watch, really delicate touch. Um, had a wonderful innings, didn't he, at the Oval, I think, when he got 149. Um, he, was just, he was just great to watch. I remember watching him, in, uh, going back to what we were talking about, that Benson and Hedges Cup. I remember him clipping the ball off his legs and uh, being caught on the boundary when he was batting uh, particularly well. And, and he'd barely touched the ball. I just felt if he'd, if he'd just uh, tried to bludgeon it a little bit more, he would have got six runs. It, he was that effortless, I think, in his batting. Um, and just someone that I love to watch. And it's, it's quite interesting, uh, especially in this era of Steve Smith, where he was considered to be the leg spinner who would uh, bat a little bit, and suddenly turned out to be possibly the best batsman that's lived since uh, Don Bradman. I think it's quite interesting when a player, a player's talent blossoms in that way uh, when you weren't expecting it you can also um, go back to sort of sorry players like Mark Butcher who seemed to Alan Butcher as well who both started as medium pace bowlers really and became uh, excellent batsmen and good uh, records against Australia yeah I think so I mean um, as I say Luckhurst uh, getting a a couple of hundreds in that series Uh, Bob Woolmer played that many games against them but I think did very well I think that was 149 that he got against them um, which was possibly his best innings in, in test cricket uh, he was very compact as well. I mean, and, and you felt that he, uh, you know, he would give everything out there, um, even though he had that sort of slightly uh, garish, silky touch. I think, um, you know, he was still quite a solid batsman as well. Pattinson dropping it short, Stark swinging it. Yeah, I think Up so. I mean, let's face it. I mean, Woolman was up against um, some pretty good bowlers as well, oh, wasn't he? Brian Lucker certainly was. Um, you know, we can go back and talk about the Lily, the Lillian Thompson era, can't we? Um, so. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I'm trying to think now of who the spinner might have been in that uh, Australian era. Probably someone like Ashley Mallett, yep. uh, an off-spinner. Um, I don't think Ashley Mallett is quite a, a Nathan Lyon. Nathan Lyon is another one who's developed from, from nowhere almost, hasn't he? He was picked out of, uh, of curating duties at Adelaide and, and spotted there. It's, it's funny how much talent is, is actually not seen at times. Oh, yeah, you never know. Um, well, I'm sure I'm going to give you my Middlesex too and then uh, we're going to find out who, uh, who's going to open for Durham <laughs> it's not great um, probably my opening certainly one of my openers would not be a surprise it's Andrew Strauss uh, I, left, I wanted a left hand right hand combination 100 tests for England averaging uh, over 40 uh, averages 39 uh, versus Australia a high score of 161 uh, Ashes wins in 2005 2006 and 7 of course uh, he lost, but 2009 and 2010-11 he won. Um, so he's had three uh, series wins and two as captain and lost one. Um, I just feel when he was at the top of his game, both as a fielder and as a, as a senior statesman within the team, um, he would solve our opening problems and what wouldn't we give to wind the clock back and have him at his best striding out 
uh, at uh, Edgbaston or at Lords. Uh, considered a few. Considered John Dawes. I even look, went, looked at Sam Robson, who frankly um, was dropped despite uh, success against New Zealand and Pakistan. Uh, Eric Russell, uh, Andrew Ernest Stoddard, who did particularly well. Um, but uh, Andrew Strauss gets that berth. So, to open with Strauss, I'm going for none other than Bill Edrich. Uh, he made uh, runs against Australia. Uh, but do you know what? The thing that I really went for, he used to be uh, a bomber pilot. <laughs> and I reckon if you've got the pure uh, bravery to get out there and face the uh, ACAC guns, um, then you are not going to be cowed by the likes of Stark, Hazelwood and Pattinson. You would swat them away like outback flies. So Bill Edrich uh, gets my vote as my other opener. Jack, who have you got from Durham? So I'm go I've gone for Keaton Jennings. <laughs> Sharp intake of breath. Sharp intake of breath. Of, <laughs> yeah. uh, of, of thousands of podcast <laughs> listeners everywhere, yeah. I suspect. I'll be, I'll be honest, Durham, for opening batsmen, it wasn't our strongest, uh, wasn't our strongest um, position. But I'm going for Jennings in his 2015-16 form where he got 1,548 runs in the county championship, including a double century against uh, Yorkshire. And obviously, the thing with Jennings is, let's be fair, he, he's playing against um, Seamers, is his weakness. But he could be the only one in the side who would be able to deal with Nathan Lyon effectively. Yep. Jennings is very good, is good against spin bowling. And England... I've had a lot of problems with this world-class spinner that is uh, Nathan Lyon. So I feel that Jennings would be able to deal with Lyon. Obviously, the issue is he's, he's had his chance, unfortunately, <laughs> with, with England. Um, and Everyone says he's a good tourist and a good character. Yeah, I mean, they saw him when he first came through. They thought he was going to be uh, the next captain, but he's... Batten, unfortunately. Okay. Really Who have you got opening with him? And the other one is Mark Storman. Oh, interesting. Storman, uh, well, he's had his chance in England with, uh, again, but he's hit, he hit five, five half centuries. Uh, he played in the 2017-18 Ashes, which obviously was a, was a disaster. But um, he at least showed some resistance by hitting a couple of 50s in that in that time. What I always feel bad for Storman is the fact that he only got his England recognition when he left Durham yeah. to go to Surrey. Mm. Before that, he'd hit four seasons where he got a thousand runs in Durham in, in consecutive seasons yeah, <laughs> and in Durham yeah absolutely and the England selectors totally ignored him yeah and then he goes to Surrey and he hasn't really been that good for Surrey he was so much better at Durham and I feel that Storman uh, left-handed he's, he's aggressive enough but he can but he also can dig it out he, he does get he is he is quite a patient batsman as well but he would put pressure on the bowlers so obviously when you got Cummins steaming in Hazelwood steaming in Stark steaming in he wouldn't let them settle, but I feel he'd also, be able, he'd also be able to score enough runs off them. And I feel that he would be better opening than Roy, because Roy, as we've seen so far, well, I mean, that shot he played there was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but Stallman would, would be able to put some pressure on the bowlers, but he also would know when to dig it in. I feel that he wouldn't play a stupid shot like Roy. Do you think Durham Stoneman's better than Surrey Stoneman? Well, Durham Stoneman's much better than Surrey Stoneman. Enough said. That's you justified your selection. 
Well, he's um, te- I mean, he's technically much better than Roy, isn't he? I mean, he's, yeah, he's, and, he and, he, and he's actually a much better timer of the ball. I mean, I hadn't seen him, much like Trevor Bayliss, who didn't go and see him for a long time. Yeah, he hadn't, even, uh, he hadn't when even he was at Durham. He actually finally got around to seeing him when he got down to the Oval. Uh, but, you know, you saw the way the runs he was making. And, uh, you know, I was keen to see him when he got down to Surrey. Yep. Um, I have seen him a few times, and, and he hits the ball beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit unlucky in that series. Uh, you know, he's just been one of those openers who, um, you know, uh, that rush of openers who who've not been able to nail down the place, well, isn't it? Well, that series, the Ashes one, he, he showed a bit of resistance, unlike yeah. anyone else around him. He hit a couple of 50. He found if he didn't turn them in, he didn't, he didn't get a score over 60. But I feel that with how badly that tour went, mm. I think he showed some signs that he should have had another chance and he was just sort of discarded. Well, they, it was almost like they, at that point they were working on the theory of um, you'll get seven, seven matches in which you uh, can prove yourself. Mm. And I suppose that in one sense he did, he did well in that first test at uh, Brisbane, didn't yeah. he? Um, and then didn't produce a huge amount more. But um, he, pro- he probably got worse. And, and by the time he was dropped, he was really struggling. Yeah. You know? And I think it, it, you know, he needed to be taken out of the team. But I certainly wouldn't um, cast him into the wilderness. I, I, you know, I'd like to see him back at some point. Well, when it was him and Jennings opening for Durham, like Jennings getting 1,500 runs, Stormer getting over 1,000, mm. and England just totally ignored them. Yeah. It's almost like you play too far north. Yes, we can't be bothered to well, catch the yeah. train. It's <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> let's start to look at a couple of specialist positions now. Okay. Um, and again, it's been much talked about in the current England team. Well, let's look first at a number three. Who's coming in first drop for you, Hendo? Well, it's got to be uh, MCC himself, hasn't it? It's got to be Michael Colin Cowdery. Um, you know, this is a man that came back after three years out of the Test Arena uh, to try and uh, bring some ballast in that position. Uh, in that uh, test down under uh, series down under 74-75 okay he didn't score a lot of runs um, but you know he, he was seen as a solid a solid op- uh, a solid option at, uh, at the age of 41 solid, solid in more ways than solid one, more ways than one. He was probably and also I mean I, you know I remember he, I think his, his was the very first uh, cricket autobiography that I read and uh, he shaped um, the way that I played cricket in a way because I, I remember reading just in the intro it was like do not give your, your wicket away you, you're your wicket is your life. This was the thing that he impressed in the first um, opening pages of that of that autobiography, and uh, between him and Jeffrey Boycott, that made me into a, one of the most boring opening batsmen in club cricket you've ever seen. <laughs> well, I think as well, um, he rather got up the noses of the Aussies by his general oh yes demeanour. Hello, my he? name's Colin. <laughs> yeah, which I think <laughs> I haven't met will, you, Jeff. Will certainly have helped. Uh, okay, so you're going with uh, for Mr. MC Cowdery, and uh, what a good choice that is, Jack. Who's, who's going to rescue that number three spot if uh, one of our magnificent openers fails early? Who's going to come so in? So I've and, uh, gone for Scott Borthwick. Ooh. Who, of course, was unfortunately picked as an extra spinner in 2015. Yeah. However, Durham, for that entire season, had played him as number three, and he scored over 1,000 runs. So I thought when, when they picked him, I thought, oh, they're going to put him as a, bat- as a batsman. No, extra spinner, even though... I think it's because Borthwick said, sell, said, I'm a spinner, he's a bowler first, rather than that rather than a batsman so obviously England put him in and well we all is he the Durham Moen Alley well (laughs) (laughs) and we all know what happened to him in uh, the Ashes unfortunately but as a number three for Durham he was amazing he was brilliant Um, such a technically correct batsman obviously again he's moved to Surrey and it hasn't gone uh, so well for him but I feel that 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 2015 2014-15 Borthwick now would be a lot better than Joe Denley yeah, and I think it, I mean it. Doesn't it? It shows um, maybe what the, the, the lack of um, 
people going to see see players and, and, and what they think about it. I mean, Graham Swan opted out of that tour, didn't he? And yep. he basically yep. said, um, I've had enough. And um, Scott Borthwick is obviously the, the uh, best spinner in England, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, fair enough, you talk him up. Because um, and that series is pretty much gone anyway. Um, and, you know, you're trying to give him some confidence. But it's a bit odd, isn't it, that if, if he was really a batsman that can bowl a bit, that we were putting him forward as his... Uh, as, as a leading spinner yeah exactly I mean, it made, I remember when it, when, it, when, um, when, the, when it was going on I was so chuffed he got called up because yeah. he deserved it mm. and then they put him in at number 9 and mm. he got 18 runs mm. and it, it's, he's not coming he's not uh, he's not coming in to slog he's a technically technically correct batsman mm. he comes in at number 3 he plays his shots and he but he can dig out he can dig out big scores he got he got over he got 6 centuries that season for Durham right. and they put him in at number 9 you make a strong case um, well, I thought very hard about the number three. Um, I considered Clive Radley. What a worker of the ones and twos he was. He's got t- selected for a tour of Australia, but uh, hit on the head in one of the, in the first game, and uh, but pretty much did for his international career, which I think was very, very sad indeed. I thought about Patsy Hendren. He used to just make runs for fun and um, had a pretty successful career, by the way, pl- against Australia. Um, scoring something like 1,740 runs at nearly 40 um, and actually in terms of innovation he um, way back then invented a special hat which I believe his wife had invented for him um, to uh, avoid bouncers which were coming his way <laughs> so um, Patsy Hendren was right up there in my thoughts but I went for none other than Mike Gatting 1,661 runs at 37.75 a captain as well, um, although I haven't picked him as a captain of my team. Um, don't forget, he was part of that '81 team. He was part. He was led the '86, '87 tour win. Um, he, I think, he would just. He's, he was excellent at playing spin. Although we all know he's very famous for one particular ball, but he would gobble up spinners for fun. Um, I think Nathan Lyon would not trouble him, uh, and I would have loved to, I, if, if, if England have got their backs to the wall. On a we need to draw day five. I wouldn't rather see anyone stride into the crease at first drop more than uh, Mike Gatting. So there's my number three. Uh, but it also got me to thinking as well um, we need a captain. So, regardless of where they play, Jack, yes, from Durham, who's your leader? Oh, who's your man? Mike. Who is gonna? So, it was between Collinwood and Stokes, ah. but I've actually gone for Ben Stokes. Yeah. current vice captain of the England team given yeah. the job back wasn't he yeah. the reason I've gone for Stokes is because he hasn't actually cap- captained um, anyone before but after this summer he has matured so much as a cricketer and he dragged England to the World Cup literally single handedly because I know he didn't get a century but he's easily our best batsman and I feel that he's the only one who's got that mentality to tough it out and dig it out and to do it well and did the first test he got um well, just a, that ball from Nathan Lyon was unplayable to be fair that got him out I felt that he would have steered on to dig it out I feel Stokes um, is a big motivator of the side and uh, he would be my captain of this uh, of this team OK well my captain captain my captain um, I'd have batting at number four by the way um, only averaged 22 runs in 19 matches versus Australia uh, however he was described as a, a manager of personalities. He had a degree in people, which is what Rodney Hogg said. And my captain is none other than the man who wrote the book, 
and the art of captaincy, Mike Brearley. Uh, I can think about the drawn series in 1977, the, uh, the, uh, the return in England, which was won. Um, of course, we can talk about uh, 1981 as well. Uh, all in all, he was involved in uh, three series out of five that were won uh, against Australia uh, as captain, of course, in two of them. Uh, took over from both of them in 81 and the rest of course famously is history so even though I've got such a wealth and depth of, of runs <laughs> from Middlesex uh, and a man who potentially didn't make so many and I think might be a little bit uh, not, you know, maybe Richard Stark's eyes might occasionally light up with Mike <laughs> really the I think his man management his depth of thinking his ability to see beyond the immediate and to look at several steps ahead like a a chess player and his pure leadership of men uh, Mike Brearley is going to be leading my team out and uh, I would have a huge amount of confidence in that good choice well yeah I mean if, if, if anything England need a, a man who um, who can believe who believes in his, his team I mean I'm, I'm not sort of saying that Root doesn't but uh, he didn't seem to inspire England to a, a great rearguard action in the first test so um, Brearley as we've seen is a man who could get under the skin and understand uh, the people that were in his charge and I, I, I think more than being one of those captains that, that led by cricketing example he was one of those uh, uh, men who had that ability in the days before in the days before um, stats and video recordings uh, and things like that he, he was the kind of guy who would know the weaknesses of players um, that would be more sort of uh, anecdotal than actually something that had been worked out by uh, the data people but I think he just had that um, instinctive understanding of, of what to do at various times absolutely uh, so Hendo Who's your captain for Kent? Uh, well, my captain, uh, it was a kind of a choice. It was either Mike Deness or it was going to be Percy Chapman. And I went for Percy Chapman, really, um, because he was a man... Um, he was a flawed character, uh, basically. He was, he was quite posh. He was the posh and... Be he was, him and his wife <laughs> were the posh and becks of their day, although actually putting the emphasis on posh. Uh, they really were quite well off. Um, and he, uh, he came in and took over as captain uh, in 1926 and led England to their first Ashes series victory since 1912. Um, and I think that probably rates us slightly better than poor old Mike Deness out in, uh, out in the, uh, the Ashes of 1974-75, even though Mike Deness, of course, did make a, a fantastic 100 at the end of that series and then went on to make another one in New Zealand um, on the same trip. Um, I don't know that the English ever really forgave Mike Deness for being Scottish. No, that's a tough call. What, um, what particular single quality do you think he may have had that uh, would mean he could take on Tim Payne's men with confidence? Um, well, I think he'd be, you know, he'd, uh, he's a so he was a solid player. I mean, he was a man who scored something like, uh, was it 150 50s in his career? 152 mm -hmm. 50s okay that's not quite as impressive as 100 hundreds um, <laughs> I think he scored 30, 33 hundreds as well um, I, I think he was underestimated I think he, he, he might have been better um, if he'd been given a little bit more support I don't think that, as I said that, that there was always this slightly um, anti-Scottish bias I think in the press against him so that when he didn't do very well um, he was he was a sort of um, easy target in some respects. He was the Andy Murray of cricket. Yes, he was. I think if he, in a if sense. he was doing well, he was English. Yes, and uh, if he was doing badly, it was the Scottish captain that was uh, that was causing the problems. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a, there's an element of truth in that. Yeah. Uh, well, interesting. Well, I'm going to stay with you, Hendo, actually, okay. because the next specialist position I was thinking we should have a look at is that of wicketkeeper, mm -hmm. and of all counties, famed 
for farming practically the great wicket keepers it's probably Ken so who have you got? Well obviously I mean three, three of the greats the all time greats I would say Les Ames of course um, some would say although Adam Gilchrist fans might deny it the greatest batsman wicketkeeper of all time uh, only a wicketkeeper to score 100 hundreds um, but on the basis that he was such a good batsman I would play him as a specialist batsman um, I think uh, of the two um, others Godfrey Evans and Alan Knott um, I didn't see Godfrey Evans um, but he was rated as being at the time or up to that point um, possibly the best wicketkeeper the world had ever seen also better wicketkeeping moustache than Rodney Marsh fantastic so sideburns that's not a bad qualification brilliant sideburns you have to say that um, but I, I can't be weaned away from um, the wonderful Alan Knott uh, no. he's, to me he, he represents everything that was English cricket in the, in the 70s really um, you know, he was he was an athlete before his time, wasn't he? I mean, everyone who uh, witnessed him play will remember the stringent uh, uh, stretching exercises that he went through, yeah. sort of almost between balls. And also slightly orthodox, but very entertaining batsman. Um, he may not have got the weight of runs. So I seem to remember. Yes, a, a slightly odd crouchy stance. stance he yes, had, and yeah. also you know he would he get down a sweep a lot, and uh, um, he he just would look a little bit odd, but he. He just seemed to enjoy the game so much as well. He also uh, had that characteristic that many wicketkeepers seem to have of getting up the noses of the opposition. Well, I, d I didn't. I must admit, I wouldn't have known about that. Maybe he did. I, I can't imagine that Notty was a big sledger um, <laughs> in that respect. I mean, maybe just because um, you know his stickability and his, his ability to come in at sort of number seven, eight, and uh, actually get runs that might have annoyed opponents uh, quite a bit. But I just think. Um, one of the greatest wicketkeepers I've ever seen. I mean, you just don't see the kind of catches, uh, or you rarely see the kind of catches uh, that he took um, in, in, in wicketkeepers around the world these days. You'll, you'll see it as a one-off, but he would do it um, as, a, as a sort of matter of routine. He was uh, such a good wicketkeeper. Other people will say Bob Taylor was actually better and wasn't quite a good, as good a batsman, and that's why Alan Knott played a lot more tests than Taylor. Um, but I don't go along with that. I mean, I think, I think Nottie was just, just, just one of the greats, and, and I, I love watching him. What about you, Jack? Yeah, well, you got behind was, the stumps. Yeah, wicketkeeping was a bit of a problem, to be honest. So I've gone for Collingwood, just because. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so, you know. That's a bit left field. You yeah. didn't think of the Colonel as your wild card? Well, yeah, yeah. Collingwood's going to be my just mainly because of how I guess he's ridiculous reflexes um, in the field. I think you know, sticking behind the stumps, he'd never, he'd never go. Um, but I'd I'm mainly, he's mainly in the side for, well, exactly what England needed in the first test. To about a day, could you think of any other better player you'd want than Paul Cullenwood to come in and see out a test? Now, I mean, for that first test, to about a day, Cullenwood coming in would have just been the perfect player. And it seems like England don't have that at the moment. Yeah, I mean, if you're a supporter of a team, I mean, it, you, can, you can make an analogy with football or a comparison with football. Um, all you want to see is, um, however gifted your team are, you just want to see the individuals in that team give their all. Yeah. And that yeah. is something that Collingwood always had. Yeah, he wouldn't let you down, would he? Nope. Uh, well, I had a think about that. Um, I considered Fred Price, Ian Gould, uh, Paul Downton, although uh, Ian Gould only played ODIs, and uh, Paul Downton did play seven tests against Australia, all at home. Um, but really, for me, there was only one Middlesex clubman. And that is none other than the ultimate stylist behind the timbers, J.T. Murray. A man who um, uh, had a world record of 1,520 wicket-keeping dismissals that stood for over a decade, until you mentioned his name, actually. Bob Taylor surpassed it. Uh, had a pretty good record against Australia. Um, he had a world record number of stumpings. 
um, uh, many of which came off Fred Titmus's uh, off breaks, uh, often on the leg side. So um, he was a, a, a legend at Middlesex, a man who sadly passed away recently, yeah. having, having watched a game at Lords. Um, so for me, there was only one choice: J.T. Murray is my man behind the stumps. Uh, well, that's uh, we've now covered off uh, many of the specialist positions. Let's just finish off our top order of batting. Uh, and perhaps uh, include with that any all-rounders that you want to throw in. Uh, and then we'll go and worry about who's going to actually take 20 wickets in a <laughs> test match to get the Aussies out. Um, Jack, I'm going to start with you. Yes, no problem. Well, Who, so who's the rest of your, 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 your top and middle order? Well, we've already had Colin Wood and Stokes, who would be batting five and six for me. Um, uh, so I've gone for four. I've gone for Ian Botham. Uh, obviously beefy, you know, won many, many ashes for England. He played at Durham towards the end of his career, so I thought I could sneak him in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know you're allowed that that fits the rules yeah um, I bet Botham's obviously an amazing all-rounder as well and uh, again uh, I suppose that leadership and ability to score runs uh, in the middle order would be I mean I'd rather have him over Denley I'll put it that way <laughs> so, you know, fair so. enough who else have you got on that top um, order and well that is my one two three four five and six I believe okay Hendo who's uh, who's uh, the quality middle order that's going to see the Aussies off for Kent. Well, we've got uh, Lucas Woolmer, Cowdery at three, Dennis at four, uh, Les Ames, as I said, is a specialist batsman at six, and uh, Frank Woolley, left-hand bat, left-arm medium oh. bowler, uh, makes it into my um, team. Also, a uh, very good fielder. I saw his, his, field, his hands described as uh, the, the way that they gripped the ball, big hands that gripped the ball, and... Uh, to that end, he took the most catches by a non-wicketkeeper, I believe, at the time. Um, wow. uh, uh, by the time he had finished, I don't know if that still stands as a record. Um, you know, some of these records get updated, and you don't you don't know. Uh, but certainly, at, that, at the time that he finished, he had uh, the most catches by a non-wicketkeeper in first-class cricket. Well, okay. Well, as I say, I've got uh, Strauss Edrich. I had Gatting at three. Captain, my captain, Mike Brearley at four. Uh, Middlesex, really. Who else could I have at number five? You might as well stand in the middle at Lords. You've already got the Edrich stand, uh, named after my opener. It has to be one DCS Compton. Very useful uh, bowler of slow left arm as well, don't forget. Um, yeah, didn't, didn't Dennis Compton actually play his first couple of games for Middlesex batting at number 11? He might have done, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you could well be right. I wasn't aware of that, to be honest. <laughs> picked up along uh, the way. He had a test average of 50, 42.84 uh, uh, against Australia. Um, 500s and 950s, the highest of 184, which he got against, uh, uh, which he got at Trent Bridge in 1948. He was the Brill Green boy, wasn't he? Yep. Coming out of the war, um, he put the smile on the face. He was on all the billboards. Yeah, do you think he'd be the face of the 100 these days? Uh, I don't think. I think he would rather put a, a gun to his head. Yeah, hopefully. Um, and I say he also had that decent left arm. He was also pretty lucky. Um, in all of his series, uh, seven series he played against the Aussies, won three, lost three, uh, and drew one. But crucially, it was the uh, last three that he won. Ah, oh, that's nice. Which makes me think he's coming. He's coming into into the series <laughs> we're about to play. Form, yes. On a bit of form, yes. <laughs> is uh, DCS yes. Compton. So I've got yeah. him in there. Um, I've got number six. I've got Gubby Allen, and I promise I didn't just work my way around Lords and go which stands do mm. I nick players' names from. Uh, but I've got Gubby Allen in there. Um, right arm fast bowler um, so he would supplement my bowling attack but he also was uh, pretty handy with the bat and um, 
uh, averaged, I think, something like 30-odd against Australia, uh, as well as taking 21 wickets in the Bodyline series by not bowling Bodyline and refusing to do it. Well, there you go. Man of principle. So, Gubby Allen, a man of principle, and uh, he would be, I guess, let me think, who would be a, who would be a current uh, quickish bowler but also he's, he's my he's my stoke uh, my wokes he's your wokes he's my chris wokes okay a right. man of principle you could take home to meet your mum one of the nicest uh, men in cricket but he would give he would not uh, give me to the Oli- to the aussies and a great name of course indeed i mean there aren't too many people called gubby are there very definitely got very grubby. definitely oh. grubby we've got a grubby we've but not a gubby we've got a grubby not a gubby <laughs> uh, there was i had lots to choose from in that department of course which I can give you a few of the people I probably considered. I'd mentioned Clive Radley and uh, Patsy Hendren. Um, I also thought about Dawid Milan. Don't mm. forget, 140. Yep. yep. 140 at uh, the Wacker, wasn't it? Yep. Never easy. I think the selectors have got it completely wrong by saying he doesn't, uh, he can't play, aw- uh, can only play away. Tosh and nonsense. <laughs> um, I also had uh, Peter Parfit, mm. 37 tests, average uh, 40, nearly 41. Just unlucky to be around at the same time as Boycott, Edrich, Cowdery, uh, Barrington, Graveney and Oliveira. Uh, I thought about Mark Ramprakash, but not very long and I moved on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, probably because his series record uh, is uh, lost everyone he ever played, admittedly during a period of, uh, of Aussie dominance. Mm. Uh, I thought about MJ Smith, uh, but uh, they all didn't quite make the cut. And uh, as I've just said... Uh, the ones that did did and that's why we have uh, Gubby Allen in there yeah it's a great shame about Mark Rampersh I mean I remember seeing one of his uh, particularly good innings against Australia in Perth right at the end of the 94-95 series and you felt surely this is the springboard to a, a better test career and it just it just never really happened did it True enough. I'll put this where I know I'm better from Strictly Come Dancing than I do from his cricketing career. <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is the truth of my ramp crash. And also, that I want to say, though, I mean, I know he's just recently been eased out of uh, the uh, batting coaching job in, uh, for England. Um, not not to much of um, great um, <laughs> improvement. Um, but listening to him on um, other stations, he, he does talk very eloquently about the game, I think. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and seems to have... Uh, some good ideas so maybe we're missing out by um, by jettisoning him so soon well I, th- I, I think that is very possibly true and he was unlucky he talks about his own form and, and, and mm. in the whole discussion around uh, mental fragility and you know, the, the, the mental side of the mm. game he's very honest about, yeah. about some of the challenges yeah. he had so um, I think as a person I think as a coach I think as, a, as you rightly say as a, as a, as a reader of the game Many, many quite. I think he was just unlucky. He was around at a particularly tough time for mm, England. Whenever yeah. they came up against Australia, they would lose. Yeah. That's absolutely uh, right. And and, the, and you know, a hard good to West say Indies. which is cause and which is effect. And a good uh, West Indies team around the same time. You know, absolutely. So, you know, it was difficult. So have we all covered off our middle order? Yes, yep. uh, I think we have. Mm-hmm. So let's come on to uh, more specialist positions now. Uh, we're going to look at an attack because at the end of the day, we've got to do a couple of things with our teams. One, we've got to take 20 wickets to win a test match. And two, one of those wickets Steve Smith. is going to be Steve Smith. Yeah. <laughs> so, Unless you just take all the partners. So I'm going to start with you, War Jack Cunningham. Yes. Uh, who's your bowling attack? Who are, the, who are the quicker bowlers? Who are the spinners? And how are you balancing them out? Well, the spinner was good. Well, the spinner I've already mentioned is going to be Borthwick. Um, so obviously. But uh, it's going to be all about the pace attack here for Durham. So we're going with Steve Harmison. So obviously Harmy often trouble with injuries and then the demons, but on his day, what a bowler. 
Um, uh, 7 for 12 against the West Indies in 2004 stands out but he was also fantastic in the 2005 series obviously taking the crucial wicket at the end at Edgbaston but he also got 5 for at Lords uh, I just feel that Harmy would uh, well he had those potential to devastate um, batting lineups, and I felt that in this in, certainly in this last test I think we, we missed obviously Archer not being able to play we missed that serious sort of pace and aggressiveness I think that's what uh Harmy would bring it. So you, it's the 2005 model you're picking, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go along with that. Who uh, else have you got in there? Yeah, well, uh, then I've also got uh, Mark Wood, um, who's obviously injured at the moment, but which is a shame. But again, he's got that serious sort of pace that we're missing. Um, fair and people say maybe Wood doesn't have the, the variation, but I think that sometimes if you just bowl 90-odd mile an hour consistently, you're going to... Especially against a lot of Australia's top order. Like, I don't think Bancroft's come up against much of that. Anybody who doesn't fancy the shorter ball dug in at them yeah. would, would not want to face Harmison and Wood in tandem. Definitely. I'd go along with that. Definitely not. And then uh, my other two bowlers are going to be actually uh, Graham Onions and Chris Rush- Rushworth. So Onions um, has an amazing record at first class level. 720 wickets in 191 matches. 9 for 67 at Knots for Durham. Yeah, unfortunately, he was again one who never really got near, like not really near the England squad. He was in it a bit, um, but um, he was involved in the 2009 Nasher side and was brilliant at Edgbaston. Um, it was, off, but he was never really picked. For it. But then he got injured. He's had a cop. He's had a very bad back injury. Yeah, and um, the thought, I think the thought, the England selectors thought he'd lost his pace. So he went, but he still consistently take wickets. And I think that ball and stump to some sort of like Peter Siddle's been doing. Yep. For um, for uh, Australia, would obviously if you got you got Wood and Harmy going uh, as a partnership, then you bring Onions on with one of those two. The, I think you're gonna he's gonna pick up wickets. Right. He's gonna wouldn't off. argue with you at all. Does yeah. that take us through your entire team? Then? I, I've got Rushworth as well. All right. Do you want to tell us a little about a bit about him? Yeah, indeed. Is well, he one of your wild cards? He's one of my wild oh, cards. I thought he yes. might have to be. It, unfortunately, <laughs> with Rushworth, I feel like he's never been given a chance at England at English. At, um, for England either he definitely won't now unfortunately 34 but in 2014 he got 83 wickets in the county championship which is the most in the country by a country mile and he wasn't picked and I think the reason they thought is because they thought oh he's just taking wickets on a on a favourable pitch at Durham 50% of his wickets were away from home yeah. I, also, I mean, I think also it was probably considered that he just didn't have that extra little bit of pace. Yes. Uh, yeah, something yeah. that that, that um, Martin Bicknell had to deal with for a long time in, in his career at Surrey, and uh, ultimately he actually had uh, quite a good um, game, didn't he, at the Oval against South Africa, if you remember, when he finally did get a, a, a proper chance. Um, but yeah, I, I think there is that, that sort of feeling now, isn't there, that, that some bowlers just just haven't got that yard of pace, and that's what they go looking for. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, like, he's not even made England. Uh, he's not even been for the Lions. Yeah, um, it is that pace he's missing. But I f- again, I feel that he would be able to ball stump to stump, and he's c- he's so consistent that eventually he w- well, not even eventually. I think he'd get he'd get their their, their batsmen to get frustrated, and he'd get them out. Still a powerful side you got there, indeed. Uh, Hendo, I'm just going to come to you. Uh, can we look first though at your spinner because I just have a sneaky feeling in my water. I know who it might be, and I, but uh, you may surprise me. Yeah, well, you don't know if you remember the uh, the fantastic Kent opening batsman Graham Johnson propelled a couple of little off breaks. He was fant- no, he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean him. Uh, obviously, with Kent, uh, you've got to go for deadly, haven't you? Oh, I thought it would. Uh, be. I mean, especially you know those iconic pictures of '68. I think it was at the Oval and the. Uh, I mean, especially if you had uncovered pitches. I mean, I know a lot of spinners might say if you had uncovered pitches, I'd get a hat full. Um, but uh, the thing about um, Deadly Derek was 
he, he was a quick spinner. He was quick through the air. I mean, I remember sitting and watching him at uh, the Oval on one occasion in a test match. And from side on, he was, he, he, was, he was struggling to get wickets on this particular day. And he was getting faster and faster <laughs> and faster. I mean, if you put a speed gun on him, I think he would have probably been about 75 by that point. Um, he really was uh, flinging it Miles down. Miles an hour or years old? Uh, well, both of those, <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, but, you know, what a lovely bowler. He, I mean, the way he gathered himself, he always felt like he was, um, he was a wrist spinner. Yeah. Uh, almost, but he, he wasn't, and it, it was it's strange to watch him. And he, a rather sort of flat-footed, quite a long run up to the mm, wicket. He did. Um, I, I just loved him, and I, I, I think also he was probably, probably a gentleman of the game as well. Um, Indeed, someone that you know. I think he served as president of the MCC for a while, and I, and I think he would have been a man that you could have had a decent a conversation with. One club man for Kent as well, I think. Sorry, a one club man. A one club man. I mean, There's I suppose were, that, of course. that's that's of its era, isn't yeah. it? In that time, people were. I mean, more and more we're getting people moving around now, but uh, certainly. I mean, um, you know, who would? It must have taken a long time to displace Derek Underwood, really, because you know you'd want him in any team that you have. Well, actually, um, on my list of uh, for my spinners, uh, Middlesex, a rich heritage <laughs> of spin bowling. John Embry, Phil Edmonds, Fred Titmus, Phil Tufnell, Jack Young, Ian Peebles, and Fred Titmus particularly was um, just magnificent and had kind of two careers, you know pre-toes loss and after-toes <laughs> loss and a hiatus in the middle and he still came back and bowled magnificently um, and it was so close it was so hard to pick but I actually went for none other than uh, Bernard Bosenket, a bowler of leg breaks and googlies reasonable batsman as well uh, the father of course of uh, Reginald Bosenket, the, the news reader uh, but why did I go for him well I went for him because he was the man credited with inventing the googly or the bosey as the Aussies or call the bosey indeed as it was known had seven tests against Australia in 1903 to 1905 took 25 wickets at 24 had a best of uh, 8 for 107 at Trent Bridge uh, and in, uh, never lost a series in any of those he bowled in and if Steve Smith is our obstacle I just have the feeling that the man who uh, has the sheer inventiveness to create a whole new delivery yeah. mm -hmm. a la Shane Warne um, might just be the man to do it and John Embry I thought long and hard and I'll be honest John Embry is my 12th man uh, and if it's a turning wicket um, he's in for one of my fast bowlers which I'll tell you about in a minute but if I can only pick one spinner uh, he's batting at number eight it's Bernard Bosenkett so let's talk about our pace attack Jack you've already given us yours um, Hendo who have you got? Kent? I don't really associate Kent with really quick bowlers. So who have uh, you got? Yeah, not necessarily um, uh, incredibly fast, um, but I think you've got to look, if you're, if you're looking at an, an Ashes team, uh, you've got to look no further than Graham Dilley, haven't you? Uh, a man who, on his day, bowled full, really swinged the ball, was a big man, could actually propel the ball down there uh, pretty quickly, and of course, you know, played his part in that uh, magnificent partnership in heading the 81 with uh, Ian Botham. Um, could take the ball away from the right-hander um, and I would also have another man who could take the ball away from the right-hander Richard Ellison um, who didn't play that many tests uh, but when he did and certainly in the 1985 Ashes I think uh, in two tests that year he took 17 wickets 10 wickets at Edgebaston of all places as wow, well which is, uh, is worth knowing about um, and he could bat a little bit as well uh, down the order so you wouldn't be weakening the team by having uh, Richard Ellison there and, and if you're talking about Steve Smith um, you've probably got to look at, go back to Frank Woolley because I've, I've been hearing over the last few days that, um, that they've, they've put the data together and they find that actually he's not so keen on left-arm bowlers. And uh, Frank Woolley, uh, left-arm, medium pace, might just be the man to nip him out. So yep. uh, Frank Woolley would be my other uh, 
um, bowler. Well, he's an all-rounder, really. And, of course, to um, complete uh, the bowling septet. Is that right? Five septet? Yeah, no, that's seven. Uh, uh, quintet. 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 Um, I would have Bob Woolman, of course. He could uh, bowl a little bit of medium pace as well. Indeed, he could. Okay. And uh, we're not talking about one day, but if we were, he could get those sort of dibbly-dobber um, length that he used to be able to bowl, didn't he? That's uh, very valuable. Pace yep. off, as mm. they say. Absolutely. Um, well, talking about pace off, um, my uh, 9, 10 and Jack are number 9, um, arguably not the quickest, although Builder's right arm fast medium, a stalwart of Middlesex, Angus Fraser. Uh, I know he took some tap here and there, particularly against the West Indies, <laughs> but I just feel, uh, and, and to be honest, um, lost every series he played against Australia <laughs> but again <laughs> but it, it, in that sort of Ramprakash class of uh, you know right right man wrong time uh, but nonetheless uh, he uh, managed to take uh, let me see a best of six for 82 which he took at the MCG and managed uh, uh, which is one of, five, of three five wicket hauls that he took uh, I just know you can throw the ball to Gus and he'll tie down an end if there's a little bit of nibble and we're playing at home um He's going to find it. Um, I'd love to watch him bowl at Lords against the current Australian team. So uh, Angus Fraser gets my vote at nine. Ten, I'm going way back in history to uh, Jack Hearn, JT Hearn. Um, so we're going right back to uh, 1896, 97 uh, and 89, uh, he, uh, where he, he uh, won one of those series. Uh, he was uh, right-hand medium, played 11 times against Australia, and uh, at a best of six for 41, including a hat-trick. Uh, numbers four, five, and six at Headingley, uh, all out for naught in 1899. So I think JT Hearn uh, would be a terrific compliment to uh, Angus Fraser. And perhaps rather contentiously, I feel we need a bit of pace and bounce. Uh, quick medium rather than um, pure quick, but I've gone for Stephen Finn. Ooh. Now I've gone for the Stephen Finn who uh, managed those uh, six for 79 at Edgbaston in 2015. Stephen Finn at his mm. best. You know, against mm. Australia, yeah. even though he was sent home, of course, from one tour as uh, unselectable. Yeah. yeah. Fact is, he um, three series he's played in, three wins where he's actually played. And uh, okay. he, uh, he just has that something. So you could look at a player now. He's maybe just lost a, a yard or two here and there. But the fact is... Uh, at his very best, I think he could uh, frighten some of those Australians. Yeah, I think that's true. And, 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 and he was messed about a lot, I think, by the uh, the, the various selectors. Um, also, he had those problems, didn't he, of, of uh, running into the stumps and that really yeah. and, and those no balls and that really seemed to set him back. Yeah. Certainly, with his run up, yeah. he seemed to lose his run up. It's didn't a he? confidence thing. Yes, when, when his danders up, his confidence is high. Yeah, he's damn near unplayable. Yeah, and uh, I, mean, I think back to that 2015 series, and you know everyone was uh, raving about him, really. Absolutely, yes, you know, totally and, and, and then suddenly here we are, four four years later, and he's a forgotten man. Well, kind of on the basis of my game, my rules, um, I picked him when he was at his very best. Well, no, I agree. that's the way. That's the way yeah. he's going to play. Uh, but I think that he's a forgotten man in in many ways because of the way he's been treated, and I, I and yeah. I think he's probably has lost his confidence, um, certainly to play at, at the higher level than than he is now. And as I mentioned, I've got a twelfth man. If it's a turning wicket. Uh, I would actually drop Steve Finn of my quicker bowlers. Uh, John Embry be my man. Uh, took 78 wickets versus the Aussies. A best of 7 for 78 at the SCG. Also made a 50 against them. 
uh, and played in 25 tests out of his 64 against Australia. If you want flight, if you want guile, if you want turn, if you want the ability to take wickets, John Embry had it all. Uh, he didn't quite make the cut just because of that X-factor thing, which is why I went for Bozengay. But if it's turning, he's in for Finn. Yeah, my 12th man would be Assi Fickball. I know he's not strictly English, um, <laughs> but he was great between the wickets. That's the wild card. Run. Yeah, he's the wild card. Um, and, uh, well, he was just a joy to watch in that Kent middle order. He was, uh, he was a beautiful player. Well, there we are. Great. So uh, let's just quickly run through our, uh, our 11s. I'll uh, give you mine very quickly. Strauss, Edrich, Gatting. Mike Brearley as captain. Dennis Compton, Gubby Allen, JT Murray as wicketkeeper, Bernard Bosenkay as a leg break bowler, Angus Fraser, Jack Hearn, JT Hearn, Stephen Finn, and uh, John Embry as 12th man if needed in my 12-man squad. Jack, do you want to just quickly give us a uh, run through the entire yes. Durham outfit? We'll do some Storm and Auckland with Jennings, and then Borthwick could be three, but you'll also be the spinner. And you've got Bortham, Stokes captain, Collinwood, Plunkett, Harmison, Onions, Wood and Rushworth. And Hendo, what about this terrific Kent side? Oh, what a side this would be. I mean, the, Ashes <laughs> be uh, the Aussies would be quaking in their boots. Brian Luck has to open with Bob Woolmer. Colin Cowdery coming at three, probably with his arm in a sling. Uh, Mike <laughs> Deness, uh, unfortunately not quite able to grab the captaincy at number four, but still a, a very useful middle-order batsman. Uh, Frank Woolley, left-hand back, graceful left-arm medium. Uh, fantastic first-class record. He'd come in at five. Les Ames, uh, a great wicketkeeper, but would play as a specialist batsman because he was such a good batsman. Uh, Percy Chapman would be captain uh, mainly because he uh, he liked to drink and I think that would loosen them all up uh, so he <laughs> gets do in for that any harm. wouldn't do it well, no absolutely done. he would have been out on the lash um, Alan Knott uh, who else could you have at number 8 um, at number 9 I suppose you'd have Graham Dilly you'd push him up to number 9 because he could bat a little bit better than Derek Underwood Underwood would come in at 10 Richard Ellison wasn't a bad batsman, but um, in this team he get, only gets in at number 11. Um, but that would be my team. Assi Bickbull, as I said, would come in as uh, the overseas player. And um, if I had to have another 12th man who actually played for Kent, it would be Darren Stevens. Uh, I know he probably hasn't played an Ashes test, uh, but what a performer he's been for Kent over the years. Oh, Incredible. absolutely. And I, and I believe absolutely. they're letting him go at the end of this year, which is the end of an era, really. It comes, yes. comes to us all, Hendo, comes to us all. Indeed. Well, now, if uh, you want to uh, listen uh, to this podcast, there's a number of ways you can get it, of course. Uh, via your normal podcast provider, whether that's Podbean, Acast, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Uh, if you want to get it fast, get it first, get it direct, uh, you can become a Patreon subscriber. You just go to uh, patreon.com uh, forward slash guerrilla cricket. That's patreon.com forward slash guerrilla cricket. It will drop into your inbox ahead of anybody else. We will be coming back to you soon and we will have two more counties to focus on. If you're a listener, uh, and you are a fan of Middlesex, Durham or Kent, then do please let us know what you thought. Let us know if you've got your own ideas. Let us know if we've missed anyone you think really should have been in uh, because uh, we want to hear from you. Thank you very much and uh, enjoy the rest of the county season. And we will be back as Gorilla Cricket in your ears very shortly. Thank you very much indeed, Alice. Thank you from my guests. Thank you. Jack Cunningham. Thank you. And from Nigel Henderson. Thank you. From Gloucestershire to Leicestershire Up into the stratosphere Grab yourself a can of beer County men, lend us an ear From Arthurshire to Zubashir Even if you're a newbie 
Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.